0: To, to a certain degree, tennis was my number one priority and school was my second priority. And I remember pushing my parents to allow me to go to a high school that was specifically for sports people. And in a way, I was very upset with them that they didn't allow that at that point. now I'm very grateful that they said no.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Taran Sharma and in this episode, we're speaking with Dan Lazar, co-founder and CEO of HeroX. Hailing from Romania, what he does today is worlds away from his old life in more ways than none. Thanks to his ability to strike up a conversation as well as he could serve a ball, he bounced into property development in the time it takes to say, game, set, match. Laza came to Australia from Romania just three or four years ago and has been making his mark on Melbourne ever since. His original aim was to become a tennis player. But a chance meeting on the court shifted his focus from nets to his property niche. He's all about aligning his developments with his values which always shines through. We do residential
0: developments um, that are next to nature. So we just finalize the project that is next to the Yara River. We call it a river scraper for starting out uh, another project that is next to a park and I call it a park scraper. So we try to be as close to, to nature as possible just so we Increase the quality of the product and the experience that we delivered for the people that um, go ahead and moving into our developments. So I typically wake up at around six to six to eight um, six to eight o'clock, depending on how um, late I went to bed. Um, then I um, usually try to do the most important things that I have to do that day, just so I can get them out of the way. Probably work uh, until. 7, 7 to 8 o'clock. At 8 o'clock, I usually uh, go to the gym for an hour until 9. 9 o'clock, I come home, probably spend another three hours with with family or uh, sometimes even work from 9 to 12. Uh, but yeah, I would say that I typically um, work more than 12-hour days.
1: While well, it wasn't that long ago in the grand scheme of things, to Laza it feels like a lifetime ago that he had his sights set on a tennis career
0: I played tennis between the age of 10 to 18 years old at 18 at 18 years old I also became the vice national champion of Romania probably at around that time I was was, start, was starting to realize that tennis only makes sense as a career if you're in the top 100 otherwise it's not a is not a lucrative sort of career. You, 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 you're you not even break even, basically. So due to other... estimating that I'm not certain and I don't think I have strong chances to become top 100 in the world, I decided, look, now that I'm finishing high school, now would be the best time to uh, make a switch from tennis to business. And that that's what I was envisioning to do. So I went and studied international business for three years. And then in the last day of university, exactly the same day that I graduated, I also opened opened up my first business which was a tennis academy.
1: He was born to a set of parents with a 25-year age gap where his father was significantly older but it didn't impact their relationship in the slightest.
0: I grew up in Bucharest, Romania. Um, I had two, two parents. Um, probably my parents had a big age gap between them. My father was 52 when I was born and my mother was 27. So um I guess he... he, he yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in a way, I was not extremely close to my dad, but I, I always, even though we, maybe we didn't get along always the in, in the best way, I always knew that I had a strong ally in him. So he was very, um very clear in the fact that he would always be my partner in helping me to develop, in, I don't know, uh, teaching me to play tennis, uh, with helping me to experience the world, visit different countries. But I would never get anything from him if it was sort of ego-driven. Maybe I wanted a watch or I wanted whatever things. He all would always say no to... He would always say yes to development and always say no to the things that were a bit ego-driven, I guess. But I think it's better to be on the on the side where you probably say a little bit more no than you say yes to things like that just because you can um, send the wrong message, I guess. Nobody actually needs more than the basic needs to have a roof over your head and food and water. That's what you need. The rest, it's kind of a want. So it helps you put that in life into perspective, I guess, sometimes.
1: His parents met at work where his father was an engineer and his mother worked as an economist. They didn't always have disposable income, but when they did, they made the most out of it.
0: Probably some of the nicest memories that I have was were um, going on holidays. I guess I remember that my parents were extremely poor up until I was around seven years old. I remember that I was um, sleeping on a bed made out of different I don't know pieces of uh, wood nailed together and some pillows. And uh, a few of the inv- investments started to pay out uh, at around the, the age when I was when I turned seven years old, and that's the point when we started to um, visit outside of the country sometimes and go uh, a, a few times per year on holiday. and I've, I really have fond memories of being able to um, experience other countries and, and see things from a different perspective. I think, in a way, my I uh, attribute my fire and my desire to get ahead also to the fact that I was able to experience in my childhood a number of things. I think it's hard to desire having a nice car or, I don't know, driving a Lamborghini if you never came across anything like that. It's You sort of need, need a little bit of a taste, I guess. They never invested a lot in cars, so probably the, the nicest car that they had was a Volkswagen Passat. And that, they only got that when I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old, I think. Um, other than that was, yeah, I guess the the, the holidays, well, we probably would go on holiday two, time, two, three times per year. And that was extremely, extremely valuable. I remember for the first few years, we kept going to Spain um, and I have very nice memories from Spain. We would visit um, Costa del Sol, we would visit, I don't know, Barcelona, Madrid, and and to, to a certain degree, uh, I, I, those are also some of my first memories because I think you typically remember your first memories, I don't know, somewhere between the age of five to seven. So at around, at around the age of seven, I, 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 I remember a lot of the things that we, we went and visited.
1: When it came time to focus, he split his attention between tennis and academics.
0: To a certain degree, tennis was my number one priority and school was my second priority. And I remember pushing my parents to allow me to go to a high school that was specifically for sports people. And in a way, I was very upset with them that they didn't allow that at that point. now I'm very grateful that they said no. I feel like making it in tennis, you probably have a 1% to 2% chance. And if you go on the path of living education on a second place you're actually wasting your potential i I think if you are going to truly make it you're going to make it regardless of if you go to a school for sports people or not so yeah i think that was a very smart decision on their behalf i got started and to play more regularly maybe once or twice per per week at around the age of 10 However, at around the age of four, my dad showed me a number of sports. So I remember skiing, ice skating, uh, playing tennis, swimming, all of them at around the at around the age of four years old. Even though he I did a few lessons uh, um, uh, of tennis at around four years old, I only went back to it probably at around the age of 10 for the main reason that. We were living in an apartment that had a park in front and I was always going to the park after school, riding my bike, playing soccer, um, things that are are a bit ordinary, uh, out of the ordinary for uh, kids nowadays to just uh, go out and and play all day. And my parents felt like I'm wasting my potential just being in the park all day. So they took me to tennis to have more of a positive distraction, I guess. And that was a good thing. So I maybe I started playing twice per week, then three times per week, then four times per week. And probably at around the high school time, I started to probably play daily.
1: How many hours do you think you're training then by that time?
0: It's hard to say. I would say at my peak, probably five hours, six hours per day. So at the peak of my training, which was between 16 to 18 years old, I'd say. So I was playing at one of the biggest sports clubs in, in Bucharest. So we, we had a number of coaches there and um Yeah, I think to a certain degree, it's, uh, e- even though I was training so much, I didn't, um, and I had a lot of good results on a national level, I didn't make it to the international level. So I, I didn't have any ATP points and so on. However, uh, regardless of the results that you get through tennis, I think tennis can be an amazingly positive distraction. I think I would have done a lot of stupid things unless my energy would have been focused on tennis at that age. I think I was very um, excited to explore things. So I think if it were not for tennis, maybe I would have st- started smoking because all of the cool kids were doing, and I was not cool through smoking. I was cool to, through tennis. And um, I don't know, maybe I would have experimented with drugs. So I think it's extremely, extremely important to give kids this, this, positive distraction. It may be tennis, it may be soccer, it may be something else but unless you give them a positive one, they may find a negative one.
1: Coming up after the break, he serves up the highs and the lows of a career in tennis.
0: I would say it's probably a combination of resilience. Resilience to adversity.
1: The way he met his mentor to be without even realizing who he was.
0: My biggest inspiration to become a property developer comes from a a guy called Andrei Diaconescu.
1: He explains what brought him to Australia and what happened when he arrived.
0: Kind of knew that at some point we might explore living here.
1: And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Tennis was a great outlet for him to channel his physical energy but it had its mental benefits as well.
0: I would say it's probably a combination of resilience resilience to adversity because in tennis you, we, you lose a lot probably somebody like Djokovic maybe has a I don't know 70-80% uh, win rate or a 90% win rate but most of the other people maybe have a 10 to 30 to 40% win rate therefore you need to be become comfortable with losing with picking yourself up after you lose and not giving up until the m- match is finished i i had matches that maybe the my opponent had uh, set uh, 4-0 and or, or no 5-0 and 40 0 so he would win one, one more point and then he would win the match and then i would turn the match from there so you until you shake your your um your opponent's hand the match is not done so you need to always be focused, always, always be disciplined regardless of what the, the score may say. In business, nobody comes especially I, that you, you're not an employee, nobody comes to push you or do this do that so the discipline of making a game plan and sticking with, with it regardless of how you feel I think is, is an attribute that easily translates in the world of business.
1: As he climbed the ranks, he found a number of factors that would have allowed him to play internationally were missing
0: one of the things that I wish the most I would have done differently is not really train harder, but pay more attention to what I was doing outside of training, what I was eating, how much I was sleeping, um, how much I was, uh, I was drinking. So I guess the, the preparation for, for the training, I think I could have, could have improved in, in my, in my case. And also, perhaps a little bit strategy wise, I think I would have done things differently. I think having the right mentor, the right coach may, may make the difference for some people. So I would have probably chosen differently who I train with. I, I I had a coach that I really, really liked and he was inspiring me from all points of view. And I, I was holding him in such a high regard that um, I feel like I was always pushing 10 to 15% harder when I was training with him. Just because I saw that as being a successful tennis, former tennis player, a successful tennis coach, a successful entrepreneur. He has hotels in Romania, a successful property developer. He's doing property development as well. So having success on all, in all areas of, of life was something that was, for me, was very, very inspiring. And I just remember feeling that I was always pushing harder when I was training with him.
1: And do you think you got some of that inspiration from him to jump into business as well? Because you said that he was quite a success, you know?
0: Perhaps. The, my biggest um, inspiration to become a property developer comes from a, a guy called Andrei Diaconescu. He's the probably the biggest property developer in Romania. Again, I, it's a funny story how I met him. I was playing uh, paddle, which is a sport uh, very similar to tennis. He playing paddle on a court. He was playing next to mine. I had no idea who he was. I just hear a conversation. He was asking somebody if he knows who the owner of a piece of land is, that, that piece of land was a big tennis academy. And I overheard the conversation. I told him, look, sorry that I was listening into your conversation. I don't know who that owner is, so I'm, I'm happy to introduce you again, not having any idea who he was. he was. At that point, he was quite low profile in Romania, so nobody really knew who he was. He would not do interviews. If you Google his name, you'd probably not find much. And after the meeting... Uh, when he came to the meeting, I probably picked up that he may be, uh, he, he may be a smart guy because he, he, he came in a Mercedes S-Class. Uh, and after the meeting, we was we were going around that piece of land and he was telling me, look, this is my building, this is my skyscraper, this is my building, just around that piece of land. And then I was like, whoa, I was not I didn't even know that I'm here with one of the richest guys in Romania or that I was... So but by chance, chance, by being, I guess, nice and trying to Help without um, without asking for anything in exchange. I stumbled upon making a connection with a guy that actually led to a lot of my inspiration to become a property developer. He was telling me about the how much he was making, the issues that he's having. So it was very very inspiring to see the behind the scenes of a company that is developing billions and billions worth of, of worth of property.
1: They met in 2017 and continued to play together once a month or so for the next 2 years. After they built up their relationship, Laza had a big question for his mentor.
0: And in 2019 I sold my company and I went to him and I told him, "Look, now that I have a little bit of money, I'm planning to go into property development. Can you teach me everything that you know and I'll give you a percentage of my property development company." And I remember I'm I'm sort of still embarrassed a little bit of how that was, so I My uh, knees were shaking. My voice was trembling. I was using all of the wrong words. However, he said yes. He says, look, I don't want any any shares of your company. I'm happy. I like you. I think you can make it. I'm happy to help you. And if at some point in your second, uh, third or fourth deal, we might do something together. Just give me a good deal. That's it. I'm not looking to to get anything right away. So that was, uh, uh, yeah, again, a, a lucky moment in a way because I feel like my 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 pitch to him was was not a good one on how I approach it and, and so on. Uh, and yeah, and then I shadowed him for a few months. Uh, then I pitched my idea on Shark Tank Romania. I pitched on in on Shark Tank Romania to to do property property development in Australia. And then um, twelve months later, I secured my first site and I started my first development.
1: His journey from aspiring tennis star to property developer makes sense. But what about his journey from Romania to Australia?
0: One piece of the puzzle that will will we'll bring it all together. My wife is Australian, so we we drew this even though her parents are Romanian and she was living in Romania. Due to the fact that she was Australian, we always kind of knew that at some point we might explore living here. And what we did in 2019, we came for three months. We verified if our understanding that Australia is a good place to be living is true. And then we went back home, sold everything, and then came back here and started our life again. She's also a former tennis player, so that's how we met. She came to Romania to train at this tennis academy that I was also training at.
1: As for his career back in Romania, he was in a niche industry there as well, but not in property.
0: So with a tennis club, in order to continue your activity during the winter season, you need to cover your courts. Most clubs cover it with an air dome. I'll, I'm not sure if you've ever seen an air dome. How it looks? It's basically like a bubble that you inflate on top of the tennis courts. So that's, that's the second business that I had in between between the tennis academy and the property development, where I sold all across Romania and a bit um, in uh, Western Europe as well. I sold these air domes that I only started to understand how they work technically and where to buy them from due to the fact that I had a tennis academy so unless I you buy these air domes, you can't use your tennis academy for six months per year and it's minus 15 degrees outside is coming to play any tennis there's very very few maybe three places in Bucharest where you can train indoor so most clubs have this air dome that I think was was invested not not too many years ago maybe to, in the 80s or 90s so there's I don't think there's there's air domes that are older than 1980. So it's to a certain degree quite a new product and is by far the cheapest way of covering a big area. So you can cover from tennis clubs to soccer clubs. I've seen even a mosque, like a church inside of an air dome, nightclubs, even industrial facilities inside of an air dome. It's a little bit different with the fact that there's pressure inside. You always... You can't really open the door sort of like in a factory and go in you need to create some sort of a tunnel that enables you to go in the tunnel open one door close it and then open the other one and go in so it's a little bit different but as, as a rough idea it's 50 to 100 euros per square meter so considerably cheaper than any type of construction however they have different uses so for tennis, due to the fact that you don't get as cold of a weather, nobody really can justify the to 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 buy one and to invest in one. However, there are certain arenas. There's a there's a there's one in Sydney where is it just it's covering um motocross arena, and I think there are a few that are uh, for industrial use or agricultural use. So it's. It's a product that a lot of people don't know about, but I think it will grow a lot more in popularity. I, I'm even talking to a developer in Australia to do uh, these air domes sort of as factories. So instead of building the factory that might be a thousand dollars per square meter, you just do this air dome. has the same use, serves the same purpose, but it's 50 to a hundred euros per square meter.
1: When it arrived in Australia in 2019, he settled in Melbourne so he and his wife could be near her family. They settled in fine but so did something else.
0: We actually um, moved in in January of 2020 so late, late 2019 basically. Um, my first step was attending a lot of networking events around property. Probably first month in I um, jumped on a one-year program on how to become a property developer with Rob Flux. And that was an instrumental decision, because even though I had a lot of general knowledge about how to do property development from shadowing this developer in Romania, I didn't have the technical details. And Rob was very, has a very um, good course that goes in depth on how to avoid the avoidable mistakes that you can make, basically. Due to COVID, I was, a, a, I was scared, to be honest, and I probably delayed a little bit. My starting point. So if it were not due to COVID, maybe I would have secured the site three months in. However, due to COVID, I allowed myself time to do the rope scores for a year and month 11, I ended up securing my first site. So um, it, I guess it, it, it's both a good and a bad thing in a way. The, the bad part is that it took me longer because I was a little bit scared due to COVID. The good part is that I managed to educate myself a little bit more months before I actually jumped into the game.
1: There was a silver lining in that development was delayed as it gave him a chance to adapt to his new country. 11 months later, he purchased his first site in line with his specific strategy.
0: My strategy has always been to target development approved sites. Therefore, this was a development approved site for four townhouses that I secured off the market through an agent. And yeah, we bought it 10% under market at that point in time, according to the prices that were at that point. It took around 15 months. So we bought it with a, one, with a 2% deposit and a six months delayed settlement. The 2% deposit um, allowed us to, uh, to secure the site. Then the six months delayed settlement enabled us to go and finalize all of the construction documentation and um, fundraise the funds that were missing from the investors.
1: Dan Lars's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. He dishes up some more on his first development.
0: The biggest two variables, the sales and the cost to to build it
1: were already confirmed by third parties. His thoughts on the construction crisis and how it's impacted his profits.
0: I may be subjective but I think this may have been one of the worst uh, times for the construction
1: industry. He explains why starting out with nothing is the best approach.
0: And probably all in all is probably the biggest Learning is to start from trust level zero with everybody that you're leading with.
1: And that's next time on Property Investory.